Good morning, church. God is good all the time. Our reading today is from Genesis 28. And by the way, I'm Joe Greenwood. Uh, Genesis 28, 1 through 10. Verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely this, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may go ahead and be seated. Thanks, Joe. Um, and thank you, worship team. Uh, I'm just going to say, as a, as a fan of folk music, I love that mandolin. So, Jackie, that was awesome. Um, but I know, I know all glory to God for sure. But I just, that, that folk music really stirs my affection for the Lord. Uh, and so that was just really good for my soul. So, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, you see baseball players have their different hype music, you know, gets them amped up. Uh, nothing gets me more amped up than just a mandolin and, and a banjo. And so... That probably says more about that. By the way, that does not reveal, but reveal that I actually like country music. I like folk music. There's a difference. <laughs> Anyways, yes. Uh, hey, well, good morning, church. It's so good for us to be together. Um, for, for those who I don't know, my name is Brian Carroll. I'm the other, other pastor here on staff, and it's just so good for us uh, to be together this morning. Uh, if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 28. Um, as you're turning there, I just want to say a couple things just to reaffirm what Ryan had said at the beginning. Um, we are entering into the season of uh, learning more about our identity, and as a result of our identity in Christ, um, hopefully all that common identity be something that we all unify around. And I just want to say that the Lord is doing this already. Um, you know, for those who are, this might be your first time, or you're kind of unfamiliar, we're, we are a couple of church bodies coming together as one. Um, this time last year, this church was called the Dream Bible Church. Also around this time last year, Redeemer San Angelo, our core team, was together. And then a lot of you in here are, a, are just weren't part of either. You've just been here on a Sunday morning. And it has been so cool to see, um, even in this early on, how the Lord is just helping us grow as a family together. Because all of us come from different church backgrounds. All of us come from a different forms and methods of way of doing church. Um, but, uh, and, and so that can be hard when we're entering this new space. And I just am so thankful um, that the Lord is starting to move us together as a family. And I really just, after especially hearing uh, about the ladies' event that happened on Thursday, um, it, it's, from the planning, from the event itself, I know the Lord was helping us learn to, to be a family together. So I just, as we're on this journey of, of growing in unity and, and identity, um, we are, yes, still growing to be a family, but I think the Lord has already been working in everything for that. We're just, I'm so thankful. Uh, I'm thankful for you guys, and I'm just, I'm, I'm proud, you know? It's, it's so cool to get to be a part of. So anyways, 
All right, well, so, so we are going to be continuing our Advent series, uh, Awaiting an Ancient Promise. And so we are going to be looking at uh, Jacob's Ladder this morning. And I'm going to give you the overarching uh, uh, theme of today, what the promise is. And that way, I want you to keep that in the forefront of your mind as we go throughout our time together. It's the promise of God with us. The promise of God with us. So last week, we looked at the promise of light that Jesus is the light that was anticipated even in Genesis 1. And this week, we're going to be seeing uh, how Jesus is the promise of God with us, of God with us. And there's something about the idea of presence, right? Presence is something that we um, experience when we're together with one another. We think about social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever's out there. I don't know. Um, That can only give us a little glimpse of what it means to actually be together, it's a lot different to comment on someone's Facebook wall. I don't even know if people do that anymore. Um, comment on someone's Facebook wall as opposed to actually being there with them in the same room. Right? It doesn't exactly encapsulate the actual presence. Or how many times whenever you're texting somebody, um, what you text gets lost in communication because the person receiving the message didn't, didn't receive your tone. Uh, they, they, didn't, they may have misinterpreted what you said. Is that anybody in here? Yeah, so, so there's this idea of that, that presence, being with somebody, actually helps us get to know uh, them a bit better. Or we can translate this, translate this into other areas of life. How many of you guys have ever been watching uh, TV and then a commercial comes on for like one of those like domino commercials that says uh, surprise freeze instead of surprise fees? Um, and all of a sudden that just triggers the thought in your mind, I really want some pizza. I re- I re-. So it's, it's one idea to experience food in a commercial and it's another idea to experience the food as you're, as you're uh, eating it, right? There's, we see the difference there. There's a difference in how we experience things, whether it's an actuality, it's in physically in front of us, whether it's a person or food or something, and opposed to it being in a distant form, whether it's a commercial or social media or texting or whatever it is. And, and it's so easy for us that many of us might also see God in the same way. We know some things about God. We could rattle off some facts. We could say some things. Oh, yeah, God is love. God is peace. We can say all these things and, and mean them. God can even be the one who kind of guides our morals and, and, and kind of he gives us the framework in which how we are to, to live. But it's one thing to, to, to know some things about God. It's a completely different thing and deeper thing to actually experience the depths of who he is. There's something about Knowing God, because for a lot of us, God can easily be an abstract idea. Oh, he's out there. He's distant. He's kind of far from us. Um, It's easy for us to think about God in that way. But as we're going to see today, the heartbeat of God is not to just for us just to know some facts and things about him, but rather his for his heart is for him to draw near to his people. The heart of God is to be with us. And my hope is for us as we go through this text this morning um, is that we wouldn't see God as just a commercial, like we, we can experience him from afar, but rather we would know him and, 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 and get a deeper taste of who he is as we learn more about who is, he is. And so, like I said, we're continuing our series, and, and we're going to be looking at Jacob's ladder today. And, and the point of this series is that we're looking at the Torah. We're looking at the first five books of the Bible. And the goal of this is to help us see that even in the Old Testament, uh, even back in Genesis, God's heartbeat was to be with man, and he, he had a plan in how to usher that into the world, namely through Jesus. 
And so we're looking in the Old Testament. And one of the things, reasons why we want to do this, um, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is we want you to see that even the Old Testament speaks of the goodness of the gospel. Even the Old Testament has this promise of God drawing near to us and God making a way. I mean, you think about even Genesis 1. This is off script. Um, Genesis 1 or Genesis 2, when God creates Adam before sin into the world, Adam was in this fellowship and relationship. The heart of God was to be near to his people. Sin obviously fractures that. But despite the sin, there's still the promise of God with us. And so we're going to explore this a little bit more today in, in, Jake, in uh, Jacob's Ladder, this dream that so many of us have maybe learned as kids. And so my hope, for, hope, my hope for us today is that we see some fresh things about it. So go ahead. We're going to look in verse uh, 10 with me of, of, of Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So really quick, before we move any further, let me set the stage a little bit. Um, So in Genesis chapter 27, um, so Jacob is one of the twin sons of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. And so Jacob, his name literally means he cheats. So by his name, he is not a very good guy. We're just going to go ahead and say that. Um, There's a lot of different names we could say for not a good guy. We're just going to go with not a good guy. Uh, On chapter 27, he was just on the heels of pretending to be his brother. So Jacob was the original uh, identity theft person, um, and he was pretending to be his brother so he could receive this blessing from his father, Isaac. And and, and he, he cheated Esau, and Esau had a lot of his own issues as well, but he cheated Esau out of what was rightfully his, this, this blessing that he would receive from Isaac. He cheats him. Esau obviously gets mad, and what happens at the beginning of chapter 28, Esau is, or Esau is planning on, man, I'm, I, once my dad dies, once Isaac dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. Rebecca, uh, uh, Isaac's wife, or sorry, or sorry Rachel uh, no, sorry, Rebecca, there's a lot of R's. Um, Isaac's wife <laughs> uh, uh, favored Jacob. And she was like, hey, hey, go to uh, my brother Laban's uh, in, in Haran, which is about 550 deserty miles away, and take a wife, wife from, from his clan. And so, so Jacob is fleeing. Jacob is running away from a problem that ultimately he was a part of creating. And so it's in this space, it's, this, it's early on in this journey toward Haran from Beersheba, um, where Jacob, um, he's running away, he's in the desert, like I said, Haran's about 550 miles away, and this is where actually Abraham lived, so his, Abraham was Jacob's grandfather, and it, he's running away, and it's in this space that something pretty uh, amazing happens. It's in this space of him in a desert, running away, um, in, a, in a place of just so many unknowns where, where uh, this pretty bizarre dream happens. Let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 12. So he's sleeping. He's, on, he's um, laying down. This is, like I said, this is very early on, very early on in his journey um, towards this, uh, towards Haram. We see in verse 12, 
And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Let me read that last part again. And, and to your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So, so Jacob is on the heels of cheating his brother. He's running away from his problems. And we see that God intervenes. God, he gives Jacob this vision. And this vision, this dream is kind of a bizarre dream. Um, you see that there's this ladder from earth to, to heaven. Heaven here is speaking of the, the home of God. We saw last week that heaven could mean the stars and the expanse and things like that. This time it means the actual abode and home of God. So heaven as we know it. And so there's this stairs from earth to heaven and descending up and down it are angels. And angels here also means messengers. It also means messengers. And this dream is communicating something pretty significant about who God is. This dream is communicating something very important about the nature of God. And that thing is that God is very active in the things of the earth. See, if you were a deist, what, if, what deists typically believe? That God created everything, but when he created, he kind of just pressed play and just like took a step back. Make sure I'm not tripping over a speaker here. Um, right? He just took a step back. That's not the heart of God. And what's interesting is how God even introduces himself to Jacob reveals the fact that God is a God who's not only active in creation, but he's a God who draws near and is intimate with his, his creation. So he gives really three identifiers about himself. God does. He says that I am the Lord. So anytime in your Bibles where you see the Lord is capitalized, L-O-R-D, that is God using his personal name, Yahweh, Jehovah. And it means the self-existing one. It's his personal name. It's, it's, it's meant to communicate this intimacy of who he is. So he introduces himself that I am the Lord. And then he says, I am God, the God of Abraham and Isaac, your father. First off, when he says, I am God, that term is Elohim. And that term it can be applied in lots of different ways. It can be seen as a ruler, um, a, a king, some kind of authority. But when it's applied to God, especially at the heels of Yahweh, it means he is the ultimate ruler. He is the ultimate supreme one. And so he's showing that not only is he a personal God by introducing his personal name, but he's also showing that, hey, I am the God over all things. Though Jacob at this moment came from a lineage where um, like Abraham and Isaac were God-fears, Jacob was not necessarily at that point in his life yet and actually would be many more years until he did, when it came to that point. But you see that, that God is introducing himself. And then he says uh, something that is, I think is incredibly important as we see the heartbeat of God, especially in his desire uh, to be near to his people. He says that I am the God of Isaac and your father, Abraham. That, that indicates that he's, uh, he is the God of promise. He's a God who makes, who makes promises to his people. This is not a picture of a God who's passive in his creation. This is a picture of a God who's very active in his creation. Not only active, but also intimate. 
You think about when you make a promise with somebody, right? When you tell somebody a secret, um, hey, don't tell anybody this thing. Typically, the person you're telling is, there, there's, this, there's this intimacy in that relationship, right? You're not going to tell this deep secret to somebody you just met. Maybe you would. I don't know. You're trusting. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but typically, right? Typically, we're, we're, we're going to not do that. And so when God makes a promise, he's showing that he's an intimate God. He draws near. And he's a God um, who, who, because of his nearness, because that he is a God who um, makes promises, he's showing himself to be a God that, that is intimate. He's showing himself to be a relational God, a God not just to be known by some facts and things like that, but a God that we can actually know. And, and he's revealing this to Jacob. And so he's showing Jacob this closeness and nearness just simply through the, through who, by telling his name. By simply saying that I am the Lord, the God uh, of Abraham and your father Isaac. He's simply just showing this him to be that way just in the simple introduction. And what's kind of cool about this, if you think, take a step back of what has happened previously in Genesis, if you go back to Jacob's grandpa, Abraham, Abraham was the original one God called and said, hey, through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. I'm going to produce, there's going to be, from your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. He gave Abraham that promise when Abraham was 70 and didn't fulfill it until he was like 99 or 100. Right? He was old, uh, and yet God was faithful. Jacob's dad also had the same issue. His wife also had a hard time having kids. And so it's almost you see that God is making this promise to fulfill that all nations will be blessed through this family. And yet it seems like there's this obstacle after obstacle, but yet God is faithful. God, God is faithful. He, he, in, in, in Isaac, in, in Isaac and, and Rachel, they, they do have, they have two sons, Esau and Jacob. And so I would imagine, this is just conjecture, I would imagine that Jacob probably knew about his grandpa and probably knew about his dad's struggles. And yet, when, he, when, he, when God makes this promise again in verse 12, in verse 13, uh, 14, that all the nations will be blessed, God reaffirms his promise, Jacob could probably look back and be like, oh, I'm a continuation of this. He's starting to get a glimpse and see that not only is God just a God who makes promises, but he's actually like moving in them. He's actually working in them. And like I said, you think about this. For Abraham and Isaac, it was in the season of barrenness, not being able to have any kids, um, where God reaffirms um, to them this promise that through them, all the nations will be blessed. And it's in the middle of a desert, the beginning of a, a 550 long, 50 mile journey in the middle of a desert where, where things are unknown, where things are unclear, where you are just on the heels of just not being a very great guy. God makes this promise and reaffirms that through you, Jacob, all the nations will be blessed. And what is the nature of this blessing for all nations? By the way, that's us. We're the families that's being talked about here in, 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 in verse 14. We're, we're not, unless you're Jewish in here, which is cool, um, most of us are the nations. Most of us are the ones who would be blessed by this very promise that God made in Genesis 28. So what is the nature of this promise? What is the nature uh, of, that, of this blessing that all of us will receive? God with us. God with us. 
And how is God with us? Through Jesus. How is God with us? Through the person of Jesus. Like I, like I had mentioned at the beginning, it has always been at the heart of God to be with man. You look in Revelation 21, it says that the, heart, the dwelling place of God is with man. So God, as he creates mankind with a culmination of creation, we were, the, like he said, he was pleased with us in the sense of like, hey, this is a good. And out, like he said, he wants to have a relationship. He wants to be near to man. The heart of God is not to be distant from his people, but rather to be close to them. And this ought to serve as a great comfort for us. Turn over to John uh, chapter 1. Um, you can hold your finger in Genesis 1, but go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. I, I, want you to, I want you to see that. I'm not just making this up. Jesus himself is affirming that he is the one who we can actually, uh, we place our faith in him. He is the one who actually bridges the gap between us and God. So you remember the dream, right? There's this idea that God is at the top of the ladder, and the, 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 the earth is at the bottom, and there's this, this, these messengers going back and forth. You see the involvement of, of God with his creation. You see that God is, God is intimately involved. And we see in John chapter 1 that ultimately Jesus now becomes the bridge. Jesus becomes the bridge. Let me, let me go ahead and read. Uh, it's verse 51, verse 51, right towards the end of the chapter. He says in John 1:51. And he said to him, and this was uh, when he was talking to, he was calling one of his disciples, um, and he was telling them a little bit more about who he was. He says, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let me read that again. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to us? It should, because that's what we just read in, in Genesis 28. So do you see what Jesus is doing? If you look in, I've I'm, 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 got to slow down here. Um, <laughs> so many things I want to say. But Jesus himself says, you can look in Luke 24, Jesus himself says that the Old Testament is about him. You can look in verses 44 and 47 of Luke 24, but he's the one who gives us the lens on how to approach the scriptures. And here is one simple evidence of him showing that the Old Testament is about him. He takes about this account that happened with Jacob, this dream. And he, that there's these messengers, these angels going back and forth from, from heaven to earth. And he's now making the claim that I am the bridge. I am the one who's going to make it possible for God to draw near to man and man to have relationship with God. It is going to be me. I am the one who's going to make that possible. So Jesus pulling from Jacob's dream, he's, he's essentially making the claim that I am this bridge. And by bridge, why do we need a bridge? Genesis 3 indicates that all of us are sinful. We are born into sin. All of us have sin in us. And sin causes separation from us and God. We don't have a relationship with God uh, because of our sin. But Jesus, in his kindness and grace, descends from heaven, comes to earth, as a man, yet man, fully man, fully God, goes on the cross, dies on our behalf, pays the debt uh, that we can never pay. And when we place our faith in him, when we realize that I can't pay that debt, but Jesus, you did, all of a sudden now, 
heaven and earth meet together because of Christ. Our sin is dealt with because of Jesus. And we have this intimacy and relationship. They said, God isn't just dealing with our sins through Christ. He is. But in so doing, he's inviting us into a relationship. He's inviting us into communion. And it's him drawing near God with us. Emmanuel, as the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah, God with us. This is what God does to Jacob. God draws near to him while he's running away. God draws near to him while he was still in sin. Even as we look in this text, Jacob's not super sorry for what he did. We see no signs of repentance just yet. You see it later, but right here, I mean, Jacob's a survivalist. He's just trying to like, okay, I'm just trying to like not get killed. So, but despite him in that posture, God draws near. And God makes this amazing promise. And there's some things that God does in this promise that he says that actually helps us with wider lens see how God draws near to us. And see how God is uh, uh, in relationship with us. And we see with Jacob, in the middle of the desert, he got to experience God's blessing and faithfulness that culminated in his presence. And it's the same for us in Christ. How do we get to experience the good news and comfort of God with us? Ultimately, through Christ, we get to experience the blessing and faithfulness of God that culminates in his own presence. Let me break that down a little bit. So what is God's blessing? What is the blessing of God when, when, when God blesses? It's favor. It's, un, it's unmerited favor. Like I had mentioned before, where was Jacob when he was in this dream? He was running away. Yet God in his kindness draws near to Jacob. He shows favor on Jacob. Not because Jacob did anything. Not because Jacob suddenly just became this. No, we see nothing in the text that indicates he was repentant. But God, because he was kind and gracious, not because Jacob did anything, but God was ultimately going to use Jacob to fulfill the plan to bless all nations. And in the process, he actually blesses Jacob as well uh, by helping him see who he is a little bit more. But what we see is that God's kind, in God's kindness and grace and favor and blessing on Jacob, he is not dealing with Jacob according to his sin. He does not deal with Jacob according to his sin. And this is reflective of us who are also in Christ. Christ, if we are in Christ, he does not deal with us according to our sin. Can I get an amen on that? Because I'm going to tell you right now this morning, uh, there should have been some consequences, right? God in his kindness does not treat us according to our sin. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. The, the Apostle Paul, he says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Check this. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I love that word, lavish. Many of you guys who are parents, during this time of Christmas, you love, I imagine, giving your kid a good gift. Not because, like, they've earned it. Maybe they have. But I hear laughs. I'm not going to interpret that laugh in any kind of way. Y'all, y'all deal with your own hearts in that. Um, but it, typically, even if your kid's not been so great, you love giving them gifts. Why? Because they're your kids. 
You like to spoil them. You like to lavish them. That's what this word is. It's this, it's this idea of just this overflowing love and grace. It, another word picture to think about is, is if you have a cup, if you're asking someone, hey, can you give me a drink? And they pour, and they keep pouring. You tell them stop, and they, and they don't stop, and it's all starts overflowing uh, and makes a mess everywhere. Uh, that's this idea. It's this God pouring out and lavishing his grace upon us in such an overflowing measure, not because we've earned it, but because he simply loves to give his kids good things. This is what we're talking about in God's blessing. It's this unmerited favor. It's, this, it's God lavishing his love and grace on us. And many of us know the weight of our own sin and brokenness. Pause that for a second. Think about your past week. What are some ways that you feel like you've just blown it? What were, how did you feel afterwards? Did you feel shame, guilt, condemnation? Did you feel worthy of God's grace and love? Chances are, when we mess up and we know we have, we don't feel that way. But what the text just says is that God does not deal with us according to our sin because of Christ. And because of Christ, he lavishes grace on you. So we don't have to walk in shame and guilt. We, we bring our sin to the Lord full knowing that he still accepts us and he is ready to forgive because he's faithful. And that's the other thing. Part of us experiencing God with us, the comfort of his presence, we get to experience his blessing, this unmerited favor, um, and we also get to experience his faithfulness. God is a faithful God. God drawing near to us and, and, and showing us blessing. It's not a one-time thing, but it's ongoing. It's an ongoing thing. Look in verse 15. Uh, uh, back in Genesis. Go back to Genesis. Look at verse 15. So God, he gives Jacob this promise of what he's going to do through him. And then verse 15, God says some pretty cool things. He says, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What's God promising here in this text? He has four things. I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The, but what, do all, what do all these promises hinge on? Do these promises hinge on Jacob? The answer is no. These promises hinge on God. I will be with you. I will keep you. I will hold you. I will never leave you until I have done what I have promised. And this wasn't him saying that, okay, once I've done what I promised, I'm out. No, it, 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 God was accomplishing something through Jacob, and he's going to see him through it. And I will bring you back to this land, the land that he was running away from. God was promising to bring him back. These are both present and future promises that God promises that he's going to do. Uh, and these promises did not hinge on Jacob. We've already established the fact that Jacob was not a good guy and probably still really wasn't at this moment. But God still was going to be a faithful God to see through his promises. God, God's promises did not hinge on how well Jacob was going to perform. It did, not, it did not hinge on if he was going to just try to be the best he could be today. God's promises to Jacob hinged on God. 
And let me tell you, that is a huge comfort for us. As we think about God's faithfulness to us for those who are in Christ, his faithfulness does not hinge on how well we behave. We've already established it with us as well. We've probably already this morning have found ways in which we don't quite measure up, but yet God's grace that he lavishes upon us, this unmerited favor that he lavishes upon us does not hinge on how well we're doing. It doesn't, like, this is why any kind of uh, mixing of works-based theology within the, the gospel just falls flat. Look in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. You can turn there if you'd like. It's also on the screen. Paul says in this letter, he says that, and this is probably a verse many of you may have heard of before. And he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. Note the present and the future realities of this verse. And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What is the good work that he began in us? Salvation. Christ saves us. He's rescued us from our sins. He, 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 where that separation once was, he's now brought us near to God. We have relationship with him. He began the work of salvation in us, not because we did anything, but because Christ did it for us. And he says, he says so, so he began the good work, and he will bring it to completion. That, what that means is he's going to continue to hold on to you. He's going to continue to be faithful to you. And note that this faithfulness, him bringing it to completion, does not hinge on you, but it hinges on Jesus. Amen. He is the one who does it all for us. And that ought to be such a comfort for us, that God's faithfulness and his grace and his love and mercy does not hinge on us. Because God is kind. He's kind to his kids. He's kind to those uh, he loves and calls and begins good works in. He's not, he's not going to just, he, and I, you've probably heard this before. I've heard a lot of pastors say it. God doesn't save us. He knows who we're gonna, how we're going to mess up when, whenever he saves us and down the road. He knew that, like I said, in chapter 28, this wasn't the, like chapter 27 of Genesis, this was not going to be the first time Jacob cheated. He had a whole, like, decades more of cheating to do. Um, he, he had to get it out of his system. Uh, God, still called, God still shows him this favor. God shows, shows him his faithfulness. And it was so cool. As you read the story of Jacob, you, you see Jacob grow. Like I said, God was absolutely accomplishing uh, this, this, I, this promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through them. He was using Jacob for that purpose, but he was also growing Jacob through that process. And what was going to help Jacob grow in that process was not, um, you messed up again, kick him right, but it was going to be just his ongoing consistency of his faithful character. How do we grow? We, we, we grow, like I said, when we put ourselves at the center of our own growth, when we just try to be as good person. We try to try to just follow all the rules. We try to not cuss too much. We try not to uh, be super angry all the time. If we just try and try and try, but that's just following law, right? And we'll get tired of that. We'll lose motivation for that. When we make ourselves the center of our growth, we're going to, we're going to find ourselves and our motivations lacking. But when we, we rely on God to be the one who helps us grow, like I said, I'm not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying we're passive agents. I'm not saying God just let grow. 
No, no we, 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 spiritual disciplines are important. Prayer and scripture, these are important. But it's these things empowered by the spirit of God that produces growth. It's, it's, it's us being dependent upon God to help us grow. These are the things that produce growth. And the growth, like I said, does not hinge on us. And that's so good news. It's Charles Spurgeon, he, he says, has a great quote about this. He says that the glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. Let me say it again. The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. When we place the burden of growth and maturity on ourselves, apart from the work of the Spirit within us, we're negating God, that God is a faithful God. Because in our minds, we're somehow conjuring that I've got to do something. God's not going to hang on to me. He's going to let me go if I blow it in this area. So I've just got to try hard. Man, stop trying. Rely and, and press in into Jesus. Abide in him. And where this actually really starts as just a practical measure how can we just trust in the Lord's faithfulness and to hold us? We, and you don't feel it, ask. It's a great place to start. God, help me know you're faithful. I don't know that right now. Help me experience your faithfulness. I don't know that right now. It's a great place to start. That's an honest place to start. God knows where our hearts are anyways. We don't have to pretend in front of him. And those promises that he gave to Jacob, that I will never leave you. I'll keep you wherever you go and I am with you. Those are promises for the believer. Those are promises for Jesus, and those are promises that are evidence of God's faithfulness. Read that quote again. The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. This blessing from God and this faithfulness of God culminates in this presence culminates in this evidence that God is near to us. God is near. Look in verses 16. Um, we're actually going to read through verse 18. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. When Jacob experienced this, had this dream and he woke from it, he knew this just wasn't a regular dream. He knew that God was doing something. He knew that God's presence was there. And he makes this pillar, this, this memorial of, of sorts to remind him. And he names it Bethel, which means um, the house of God. It means the house of God. But in that moment, he sensed the presence of the Lord. So God, we see God's blessing on Jacob, not because of Jacob. We see God's faithfulness uh, towards Jacob, not because of Jacob. And we see that culminate that God was present with Jacob, not because of Jacob. And so for us, reminder, like I said, we are the nations that got to benefit from this promise. And just like Jacob got to experience the blessing and faithfulness in the culmination of uh, culminating in God's presence. We get to experience that as well in Christ. Christ is the one who, who, who made the bridge. Christ is the one um, that gives us 
uh, this opportunity to, to be near and, and, and be in God's presence. And we namely get to experience the power of Christ and his presence through the promise of the Holy Spirit. Through the promise of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians says that he is the seal. The Holy Spirit is the seal of our inheritance. When we become followers of Jesus, he's given us his very own presence. And that's how we know he's with us. He's given us his spirit. And while there's so many things that we can say about the Holy Spirit um, that we don't have time for this morning, um, the Holy Spirit will always point you back to the finished work of Christ. The Holy Spirit will always point you back to the finished work of Christ. So if there's anything within your own soul that isn't pointing you back to the, person, the finished work of Christ, that's not the Spirit. The Spirit's job is to elevate Jesus in our lives. And that's how we can know God's presence. The more Christ is elevated, the more he's the center of our lives, the more he's the center of our worship, the more our life revolves around him. And he's helping us put to death sin by his grace and kindness, not, because, not by our own just muscling it out. But the more Jesus becomes lifted in our own hearts, we know the Holy Spirit's working. The more Christ is elevated, the more the presence of Christ is known in our lives. We know that the Holy Spirit is working because that's, that's his job. And so as we wind our time down, and Ben, you guys can go ahead and come on up. What does the promise of God with us mean for us today? What does this all mean for us? Um, this idea that God has come down and he's made his home within, a, within our hearts through his spirit, that we would get to experience presence and relationship. What does this mean for us today? I want to just give you guys a couple of reflective questions, probing questions. I want, during this worship time and during communion, I want you to wrestle with and sit with and pray through. Um, these are my application points. They're going to be questions for you to think about. But what does this mean for us today? What if we really believe the gospel is good news for you? And the gospel is true. That Jesus really did pay for all my sins, past, present, and future. That Jesus really does give me grace upon grace, this unmerited favor. If Jesus really is as faithful as the scriptures say, that he saves us and loves us despite knowing what we're going to do down the road. What if we dared believe that? How might Jesus be elevated in our own hearts? What would you be freed from? What guilt and shame and condemnation are you walking in right now that if you really believe this gospel message was for you, that you could be freed from. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Do we believe that? And yes, conviction happens in our hearts. But I've heard, of, I had a friend say this, conviction is not condemnation, but it's an invitation. It's an invitation to plunge ourselves into the deeper depths of God's grace for us named through Christ. What if we dare believe that? And how might we position ourselves to experience God's nearness more? Like I said earlier, we aren't passive beings. We don't just, we don't just expect God, but God is the one who produces growth within us. He is the one who produces fruit in us. And as we pursue him and seek him more with our lives, he is empowering and working through those things to produce in us. But what, if, what might it look like for us to posture ourselves in ways that we can experience him more? What things might we need to confess to him? And as we confess, do you know that you're received, that you're still accepted in him?
So as we're taking communion today, think about these questions. Reflect on these things. Remind your own soul of what is true. Even if you have to go back to Philippians 1.6 and Ephesians uh, 1.7-8, read those over and over. Know those are the promise for those who are in Christ. And then for some of us, maybe you, you haven't put your faith in Christ. What would it look like for you to accept his grace and love? What would it look like? And ask yourself, do the hard work. Is there a reason why I'm saying no? And if there is, work through those things. We don't want to just say yes on impulse. But could it be that the Spirit is reminding and drawing? So he said, we're going to take communion. And as we take communion today, my hope for us is that you would, this would serve as a reminder for your own soul um, that God is with us. That God, that Jesus spilled his blood on the cross. He broke his body so that sinners like us might be able to draw near to him. Sinners like us might have a shot at life and life that is with him. So we have communion in the back. We also have something in the front. The way we do it is just as you feel ready to participate, um, you can go back. Um, We do have uh, communion is reserved for those who are believers. And so if you aren't sure about where you stand yet, we just ask that you would refrain. Um, But we want you to be reminded that as we celebrate and participate today, um, that there is full acceptance in Christ. You are fully accepted and loved um, in Christ. He is faithful. He gives blessings. He gives us unmerited favor and grace. And he draws near so we might be able to experience the fullness of his presence. Let me read that Spurgeon quote one more time. The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. So God, I pray this right now for all of us, that you would work in us and help us understand in deeper ways that you are near, that you would help us know, Lord Jesus, that you are a God who's so gracious and kind And that even from the beginning, your heartbeat was to be with man. I pray that you would help us believe that. Help us know that grace is available today through Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just do the work that you need to do in all of our hearts in these next few moments. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.